Weekend in FCCA, episode 49, for the week ending April 21st, 2017, the Disney World Epics Edition. In this episode, Jay Rosen returns from a week's trip to Walt Disney World. In this report, we have a wide-ranging discussion of some of the week's top compliance-related stories. We take a look at the DOJ Criminal Division's Acting Principal Deputy Assistant General Trevor McFadden's remarks on the FCPA and its enforcement. I take a look at some of the whistleblowers and whistleblower news recently, including the Barclays CEO, AmTrust, and KPMG. We take a look at the reports from Miller and Chevalier and the Stanford University FCPA Clearinghouse on the one-year anniversary of the FCPA pilot program and what it may mean uh, for FCPA enforcement going forward. We uh, pay tribute to Kara Brockmeyer retiring today as the head of the SEC's FCPA unit. Jay gives a hint of uh, his weekend report, which will detail not only his upcoming conference schedule, but also a Observations on compliance and ethics from his one week at the Magic Kingdom. This is Tom Fox. Thank you very much for listening to this episode of This Week in FCPA. Hello, everyone. This is Tom Fox. I'm the Compliance Evangelist, and I want to welcome you to episode 49 of This Week in FCPA. Back from his relaxing one-week vacation at Disney World, one might even say spa and sauna retreat, is, of course, Mr. Monitor's Jay Rosen. Jay, welcome. Thanks, Tom. It's uh, actually good to be back in uh, sunny Los Angeles. There's only so much fun one can have at the most magical place in the world. Well, having been there with one 10-year-old for four days, I think it only took me about a week to recover. So I do have some appreciation of uh, the uh, stress involved. So with that, Jay, we had a, a pretty interesting week on uh, FCPA and compliance-related issues. So a lot to talk about, and um, I thought we might start with uh, some whistleblowers and whistleblower news. And we had three interesting uh, whistleblower uh, or companies uh, that had whistleblower issues come up, and it really um, – gave us an opportunity to look at the responses and some of the issues around whistleblowers. Of course, we have the Barclays CEO uh, whistleblower issue where the <clears throat> CEO of the uh, UK bank tried to unmask an anonymous whistleblower uh, who reported internally using the corporation's uh, internal security and tried to involve U.S. law enforcement. Um, he was financially sanctioned by the board of directors, and now the SFO, or excuse me, the uh, Financial Control Authority in the United Kingdom has opened an investigation to determine if, if he's going to be able to stay on. Uh, trying to unmask an anonymous uh, whistleblower internally, particularly one who's uh, <coughs> appropriately reported, even if you don't like the allegations, is a significant a deficit in your uh, whistle whistleblower program. So we're going to have to continue to watch that one. I was interested in the uh, report about a uh, whistleblower in the Amtrust Bank uh, uh, investigation by the Securities and Exchange Commission. And what interested me there, Jay, was the 
whistleblower was an external consultant at BDO Auditors, uh, auditing firm who was actually auditing uh, the company for uh, on, a, on a routine audit. And this BDO auditor um, took uh, uh, recorded conversations, took a um, information to a whistleblower entity that was formed in part by Harry Markopoulos. And if uh, for those who may not remember that name, Harry Markopoulos was the individual who tried to alert the Securities and Exchange Commission about the Bernie Madoff fraud. He, um, on his own, did a complete analysis of Madoff's returns and uh, believed something was askance, took it all to the SEC, who, of course, completely dropped the ball on it and then allowed it to continue for many more years and uh, devastating many, many other people. Uh, but after his uh, Madoff experience, Markopoulos uh, formed a whistleblower entity and helps companies, uh, helps whistleblowers rather, um, uh, secure uh, results and uh, receive funds back from SEC for recoveries. Uh, this entity that Markopoulos formed was instrumental in the Bank of New York Mellon settlement around Forex. Um, foreign exchange rates uh, manipulations a couple of years ago. But here we had a um, auditor who's actually recording employees, uh, all apparently uh, legal and legitimate. So um, it really emphasizes, emphasized to me, uh, to me, Jay, that anyone can be a whistleblower. Uh, we had the situation this summer where a general counsel was given whistleblower protection uh, in a, and uh, received a wrongful termination settlement from the uh, in, in litigation. Uh, in <clears throat> going up next week on my podcast, I interviewed Joel Androfi, an attorney in Houston who represents whistleblowers, and he, and he talked through the different types of whistleblowers, both in um, KETAM lawsuits uh, involving the federal government, uh, state government whistleblower cases, particularly in Texas, and of course, under uh, Dodd-Frank and the Sarbanes-Oxley law uh, to the Securities and Exchange Commission. And one of the things Joel emphasized was the need for real tangible evidence uh, that a whistleblower can bring to the government. Uh, allegations by, in and of themselves are not going to be satisfactory. Uh, you need to have tangible evidence. Obviously, that's tricky when it comes to uh, confidential information or purloined documents off-site in violation of a confidentiality or other contractual or corporate uh, uh, mandates. Uh, but one of the things that struck me the most was Joel said that um, even surreptitiously recorded uh, tapes are even the most powerful evidence because there it's not even an interpretation of documents. It is the words of the individuals, obviously. So much like a wiretap is used in uh, – uh, regular criminal prosecutions, uh, such information can be extremely powerful to the government in a whistleblower civil action. So uh, interesting there. And then, of course, we had KPMG, uh, one of the big three top auditing firms, and they got in trouble because someone at the uh, Public Accounting uh, Oversight Board, Public Company Accounting Oversight Board, PCAOB, leaked to KPMG uh, the companies that they would be uh, checked on for their audits. PCA will be audit auditors. And uh, it was leaked uh, to a KPMG employee who leaked it to five partners. And um, 
they did not report that. Somehow uh, the information got out and an anonymous whistleblower within KPMG reported the action through company lines, uh, reporting lines, and the five partners were terminated for not reporting receiving the information, which was a violation of the KPMG uh, code of conduct. So three very interesting uh, whistleblower situations that uh, came up over the past uh, week or so, and we saw three very different um, corporate reactions. Yeah, uh, it uh, seems that we're uh, getting more and more uh, uh, into these uh, situations where, uh, as you said, anyone can be a whistleblower and uh, three different uh, types of organizations and three different responses. Uh, also, we had, um, I'm not quite sure of the actual date, but uh, we have had a one-year anniversary of the FCPA pilot program, and there were two very interesting reports that came out, Jay, uh, on the um, pilot program and really the effects of the pilot program. Uh, the first one was by our friends at Miller and Chevalier, James Tillen and uh, Mark Bone, uh, who uh, I'm going to interview later today for a podcast next week, and uh, they really looked at uh, a variety of factors, but a couple of things stuck out for me was the requirement for profit disgorgement and how the Department of Justice, which obviously are, are, um, is, is not a remedy typically sought by the Department of Justice, nevertheless requires that as part of a settlement to obtain a declination or other uh, very positive resolution. So I'm going to explore that with him at some length. A second report by was by the uh, Stanford <coughs> Uh, Foreign Corrupt Practices Act Clearinghouse, probably the top university clearinghouse uh, for information on the FCPA. And uh, they uh, looked at, uh, put together some excellent information for the compliance practitioner uh, available at their site uh, at no charge for um, summarizing all of the uh, enforcement actions since the uh, declination, excuse me, the uh, pilot program was uh, um, initiated and given uh, some pretty good charts showing um, where things might be headed. So two excellent reports that uh, are available. Unfortunately, the um, Miller and Chevalier report is a subscription um, through uh, Law 360, so you have to have a subscription for that one, but on the uh, Stanford report, it's uh, free. So uh, I would urge uh, everyone to take a look at uh, one or both of those, and of course, we'll link to those in the show notes. Great. So, um, and anything that you can kind of tease away from uh, the Law 360? Did you get a chance to read that one yet or not? No, I did. And that was really, uh, um, like I said, I'm going to explore a little bit uh, more at length uh, later today on a podcast recording with both of them. But it was the uh, how the Department of Justice is considering the role of the SEC in the context of a declination, meaning that uh, you have to have profit disgorgement, uh, but that uh, only is going to apply to U.S. public companies. So we had a, a couple of um, um, uh, declinations where they were private companies, yet uh, declinations were given or, or provided, and they um, um, showed that the DOJ was interested in uh, – companies paying back money that they had uh, received through illicit gains 
uh, even if the um, it was not a public company and therefore profit disgorgement under the Securities and Exchange Act. So that was sort of one thing uh, they wanted. To, they considered whether or not the DOJ will uh, uh, change in its approach to declinations, and I certainly want to uh, explore that with them. And then they gave, um, as always, Miller has some great charts where they uh, lay out the um, um, number of declinations over the past uh, 10 years or so. So that's always helpful to get a, a, a overall view of where things are going, where they've been and where they may be going. So um, kind of the summary highlights from the, uh, the Miller report, summary highlights from the uh, <clears throat> Stanford report. The Stanford report has a couple of uh, very nice spreadsheets that you can download that gives you the uh, information on the individual uh, cases. So that's a great resource uh, as well. Great. Thanks. Thanks for sharing. And it looks like it's uh, going to be a good read. I, I, I think the one thing that I was aware of last year when we started to see a lot of these declinations and resolutions coming out of the um, pilot program was there was almost kind of like a a mix and match thing that sometimes there was a disgorgement, sometimes there wasn't, sometimes there was just an SEC component, sometimes there was the DOJ. So um, I, I still don't think that there are any um, hard and fast rules. But to your point about the disgorgement, I think um, you know that really does put some teeth into what's happened with the pilot program over the last year. And uh, it'd be interesting uh, going forward in this year to see whether or not um, those same, um, you know, disincentives to uh, to commit uh, bribery still exists and and still work as a deterrent. Sure, and and uh, the um, Miller report really emphasized the the bump up and. In- increase in number of declinations. So we had 15 in 2016, six since uh, January 1 of this year. And by comparison, the DOJ averaged about 10 since 2010 up until last year. So clearly a bump up, clearly a tool that will benefit uh, corporations that corporations can use going forward. But you're going to have to meet the uh, four-prong requirement and the uh, profit disgorgement, whether or not you're a public company or private, subject to the SEC or not, you're going to have to disgorge profits. So something for uh, companies to consider uh, going forward. So the um, uh, DOJ was busy this week. Um, uh, there are a couple speeches that uh, determined or you know, c- continued to set the direction for policy. Do you want to tell us a little bit about those? Sure. So we had uh, Trevor McFadden, uh, the acting assistant um, for the criminal uh, assistant attorney general from the criminal division, speak at a uh, ACI event and an ACES event. And the um, he gave some very detailed remarks on the FCPA and very detailed remarks on how the department will consider FCPA enforcement going forward. So. Uh, I thought these were extraordinarily significant. There are certainly things that the DOJ has said and communicated over the years, but to have them all really in in two uh, discrete speeches, I thought, is going to be something very important for the compliance practitioner and the compliance industry or the compliance profession, rather, going forward. So I'm going to probably write two or three blog posts on these uh, next week or post them next week after writing them this weekend. Uh, Really, in the, uh, the first speech was in Washington at the uh, ACES uh, 
anti-corruption export controls and sanctions event, 10th uh, compliance summit rather. And he started off by talking about corporate social responsibility and the importance of that. So that's typically not something we see from the Department of Justice, Justice but certainly uh, be welcome, welcome um, uh, comments. And he talked about the uh, invidiousness and acidity of um, international corruption and that uh, one of the reasons you fight corruption is to have a level economic playing field. One of the reasons you fight corruption is because of the potential harm on citizens in countries where the company uh, – or excuse me, where the corruption occurs. One of the um, reasons you fight corruption is – uh, to keep legitimate fees that should have been paid to a government from going into the pockets of individuals. Uh, corruption introduces significant uncertainty into business traction, uh, transactions and certainly increases the cost of doing business. So uh, a very wide variety of reasons to fight corruption, more than are simply stated in the FCPA, and I think it certainly points to the Department of Justice's understanding that the fight uh, against corruption has evolved far beyond where it started 40 years ago, and that it's uh, probably more important uh, to do it today um, than 40 years ago. Then he moved to uh, talking about a corporate response, and clearly um, you, you have to really um, applaud uh, these next couple of lines, which is we recognize that companies with good intentions uh, can make mistakes. That said, compliance requires more than good intentions. So companies uh, certainly uh, need to understand that the FCPA requires them to have more than simply sentences like, we're ethical and we don't pay bribes. You have to actually do compliance. You have to operationalize compliance. You have to go beyond, as they say, ink on paper and actually make compliance a part of a company's culture. And he listed top management uh, being involved, setting an example, putting appropriate compliance components in place, policies, procedures, and internal controls. Uh, if you go into new markets, you need to assess the risk of compliance or rather corruption in those markets and appropriately respond. No one uh, size fits all. Uh, it can be different sizes within different organizations. Uh, he then moved to um, discussing FCPA or Department of Justice FCPA enforcement. And once again here, this can only har uh, uh, really welcome be welcome remarks for the uh, compliance practitioner, the chief compliance officer, the compliance profession, and indeed corporate America. Because he said that, quote, our goals is for our goal is for companies and individuals to voluntarily comply with this law. The goal is not to prosecute every company we can or break uh, the DOJ's records for largest fines or longest prison sentences. And that the DOJ views working in partnership with corporate America to achieve this goal and that partners, the businesses, are really on the front lines of fighting crime, and they're in the best position to detect, prevent, and uh, remediate, and of course educate those about appropriate practices. The uh, Department of Justice will, of course, step in and um, uh, prosecute when appropriate, and uh, he said they intend to level the playing field for honest businesses that are undercut by um, corrupt behavior. And then goes on to uh, talk about uh, working with not only the Securities and Exchange Commission, but um, prosecutors from uh, multiple foreign jurisdictions and how important that is. And that really led into his second series of remarks, which were made to the 19th 
Conference on Foreign Corrupt Practices Act uh, by the uh, uh, run by the ACI in New York City also this week. And there he gave uh, a little more detailed information on the uh, specific prosecutions from uh, the DOJ, the FCPA unit, uh, in 2006, uh, excuse me, 2016, obviously being the record year that it was, once again articulating that it's important to have an, uh, a level playing field for U.S. businesses and noting the um, increase in international cooperation. Um, he spoke about uh, Attorney General Sessions meeting with counterparts from um, four uh, countries, um, uh, to talk about uh, issues of mutual interest. He talked about the uh, process by which information is exchanged and shared by prosecutors in uh, individual or, or different jurisdictions, and that the Department of Justice, as well as receiving information, will post information back out to other jurisdictions to help them prosecute cases where the DOJ does not have jurisdiction. So uh, also talked about the pilot program and its effects, and the uh, requirements under the pilot program. Uh, all in all, just a uh, very interesting series of remarks. Uh, certainly would hearten uh, the entire compliance profession going forward. Uh, if I could maybe switch over to um, what does it all mean? Uh, I think it really comes down to it's, it's a double-edged sword, Jay. And that double-edged sword is the following. For companies that want quicker, more expeditious FCPA resolutions from the Department of Justice, I think that's coming. Um, but for the, uh, what that means on the corporate side of things is you have to be ready. You have to have done a thorough investigation. You have to be uh, actively remediating any issues that uh, led to the violation or potential violation. And so you have to be ready to respond to the DOJ and present them with information. If you want them to evaluate information quickly and you want a more expeditious settlement, you're going to have to play your part. So I think it's going to put more pressure on corporate compliance programs. Um, when you think about the evaluation of corporate compliance programs document, which was released in February, point number one was a root cause analysis. And Many companies have not done root cause analysis. Traditionally, in FCPA investigations, they've done investigations, different exercises. But you have to do a root cause analysis. You have to apply the lessons of the root cause analysis to remediate going forward. And so I think it's going to put more pressure on corporate compliance programs to prevent, detect, and then remediate going forward. The trade-off is going to be uh, you could get a declination under the FCPA pilot program if it's ex uh, extended or made permanent. Or you could receive a, a much lower fine and penalty, uh, as articulated by uh, acting uh, Deputy Attorney General McFadden. So all in all, lots of good stuff. So from the monitorship end, anything you might see? And coming into the beginning of this year, we were a bit uncertain as to the um, role that uh, the FCPA was going to be playing going forward. And, um, you know, not only from the corrective action perspective, but also, uh, you know, picking up your line of thought about being proactive. Um, there are companies who are, you know, taking it upon themselves to do a self-monitor. Uh, and, you know, some of the very things you just brought up going after that root cause analysis and trying to be very proactive and fix a problem before it happens. So uh, <clears throat> if you can't. Any clues from McFadden's speeches about how the calculus uh, goes is, is going to change going forward under this new administration? Well, I think uh, a couple of things. One is they're going to try to move quicker uh, and more expeditiously on investigations. 
recognizing that um, you still have to get information from overseas. And in the past, they had to go through the Department of Justice, rather, had to go through a lengthy uh, government-to-government process. If a corporation can deliver that information or if there's greater cooperation between prosecutors across the globe, that process might speed up. But the calculus in terms of uh, getting getting a more uh, expeditious uh, determination from the department, I think, is something the department wants to work for. There is cer- certainly no indication that uh, the department's going to back off the prosecutions. Um, we've uh, probably five or six times now heard that Attorney General Sessions is um, uh, um, still dedicated to prosecuting individuals who violate the law. No surprise there. Mike Volkoff has been saying since November, hey, he's a law and order guy. If you violate the law, he's going to direct his prosecutors to go after you. Um, so what we, but in the FCPA context, what we might see is uh, more focus on individuals and less focus on uh, corporations who meet the requirements under the pilot program of self-disclosure, of extensive cooperation, of extensive remediation and profit disgorgement may well receive declinations, yet we could have greater uh, prosecution of individuals. Remember, largely around information developed by the corporations. So lots of implications there. Uh, But the key for corporations is that uh, you're going to have to actually do compliance. Uh, You can't have a paper program. You're going to have to operationalize your compliance program uh, just as laid out by the uh, DOJ evaluation in February. Great. Thanks for sharing those thoughts. A couple other things we, um, I guess, want to talk about very briefly. Um, Ben Morgan from the SFO. Uh, announced his uh, departure a couple days ago, and uh, the timing on that is rather interesting because the uh, SFO is coming up from review from the British government uh, to see whether or not uh, they're going to continue to fund it and use it as one of the uh, main channels to um, go against um, you know, go against anti-corruption, and he ended up joining um, a Magic Circle firm, uh, Freshfields, uh, Brockhouse, and Derringer. So that news broke within the last couple days. And then I believe, Tom, you wanted to um, note, uh, have some words about Kara Brockmeyer. Is that correct? Yes. uh, Today is Kara Brockmeyer's last day at the Securities and Exchange Commission. She's been with the commission 17 years. Since 2010, she's headed the uh, SEC's FCPA unit. And uh, I wanted to give really uh, just a big shout out to Kara. She's been a tireless public servant. Uh, for uh, the Securities and Exchange Commission, for the um, for the American Greater American Public, she has worked to um, help educate the compliance profession and the compliance practitioners. Uh, under her tutelage, the FCPA unit at the SEC has been very innovative, done a lot of uh, new and different things that have really pushed uh, forward uh, FCPA, FCPA compliance across uh, literally across the globe. And I would like to tie it into. Uh, uh, McFadden's remarks in one specific area. I think the thing that Kara is most proud of is her work with uh, the Department of Justice and others in the government to really internationalize anti-corruption enforcement. She has been a part of a task force at Securities and an intergovernment task force to help get the 
word about uh, international anti-corruption investigation and enforcement out. She has put together three uh, very successful boot camps that were held in uh, Washington for international prosecutors, where they sh- shared investigative tips, enforcement tips. Um, this work has been going on for, uh, I think, at least since 2010. Um and last year, we really saw some of the initial fruits of that effort. Obviously, the Odebrecht settlement the, uh, uh, involving the Brazilian prosecutors. We saw the Rolls-Royce settlement uh, led by the uh, Serious Fraud Office. We saw the SBM settlement led by Dutch prosecutors. We saw Vimpelcom, once again, with uh, Dutch prosecutors heavily involved. So uh, the internationalization of the fight against um, bribery and corruption is something that Kara uh, – has certainly been uh, a part of, possibly, uh, probably leading the charge in many ways. And uh, just a huge shout out to Kara for uh, her tenure at the SEC. Uh, I wrote a, um, a tribute for her, which will go into uh, next my column next month at uh, on the in the Compliance Week magazine. But it's up online, so I'll link to that. So uh, be interesting to see. She does not uh, has not publicly announced where she's going. Uh, she's going to be speaking at Compliance Week 2017 in May. So if you're going to be attending, um, she's on a panel with uh, herself and Ren McEachern, a uh, good friend of uh, the FCPA as well, that I'm going to be moderating. So uh, looking forward to that. And um, shout out to Kara and uh, good luck going forward. Great. Well, well deserved. And um Thanks for noting that. Uh, I wanted to let you know that I am uh, heading out to D.C. on Sunday, and I will be attending the uh, Ethics and Compliance Initiative 2017 Annual Conference, which is being held at the Marriott Marquis. And uh, featured speaker in the afternoon session on Monday is Attorney General Jeff Sessions, who will be uh, addressing uh, the body, and it'll be interesting to see what he has to say about FCPA. And uh, later on in the afternoon, I think what would be of even more interest to you is there's a gathering of of former uh, attorney generals and deputy attorney generals, and our good friend uh, Paul McNulty will be there from the McNulty memo, and then Mark Phillip there from the Phillip factors. So uh, it sounds like a real great um, panel that they've put on. The conference uh, lasts uh, from Sunday until Wednesday. So I'm looking forward to um, reconnecting with uh, old friends and making some new ones. So that's what's on my um, travel agenda for this week. And um, I understand you're on the move next week as well. So uh, next week, uh, working with uh, some clients, but before I get to my upcoming uh, events, uh, I'm just going to leave this teaser for our audience and with you. I want a full report on the coloring books. I'll leave it at that. Um, in two weeks, I'm uh, doing a uh, webinar for um, with uh, in conjunction with Oversight Systems on Compliance Week, and we're going to talk about operationalizing your compliance program. Uh, later on in uh, May, I'm speaking at uh, Pharmaceutical Conference on uh, Risk Management with my good friend Ben Lockwin. Of course, the um, Compliance Week event at the end of the May that, that uh, uh, we'll have more details on. I had a uh, podcast this week with Bill Coffin, the editor-in-chief of Compliance Week, where uh, he talked about some of the highlights. And uh, there's a speaker discount, excuse me, a discount code for uh, anyone uh, who listened to that podcast. So uh, check it out on the FCPA Compliance Report. So, Jay, uh, you want to take us home? Uh, oh, well, we, uh, are we going to get a Jay Rosen weekend report, and will it include uh, ethics lessons from Disney World? 
I think you got me. You got me uh, thinking already. Uh, so we're going to do that. And um, if our numbering is correct, uh, we are putting uh, the bow on episode forty-nine. So we need to start thinking about how we're going to get Millie and Michaela involved in episode fifty. So uh, that is um, on the schedule for this week. So. Um, well, I'm going to leave that, that one to you and Mrs. Monitors. Okay. <laughs> Thank you. So on behalf of uh, Tom Fox and myself, uh, Jay Rosen, we'd like to thank you for joining us and discussing the week in FCPA that was for Friday, April 21st, 2017. Hello, everyone. This is Tom Fox again. I'd like to thank you for listening to this episode of This Week in FCPA. If you have listened to this podcast on iTunes, I would greatly appreciate it if you would rate this podcast as it would help our rankings and also get the word out about the only weekly wrap-up of all things FCPA compliance and ethics related. Thank you very much, and I hope you will join us next week when Millie and Michaela join us for Episode 50 of This Week in FCPA. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.